Welcome to A Magical Life, Health, Wealth and Weight Loss. I'm your host, Magic Barclay, Lead Practitioner at Holistic Natural Health Australia and number one best-selling author. In this podcast, I aim to give you practical tips on how to accelerate and sustain your health, increase your financial, spiritual and emotional wealth and to look at something that haunts many of us needlessly, weight loss. In some episodes, I'll have guests available to give you even more tips, but in others, the floor is yours. Drop us a line at A Magical Life Podcast on Facebook and let me know what you would like to know more about. Now, sit back and enjoy, because it is time for you to create and truly discover a magical life. Welcome back to A Magical Life. I'm your host, Magic Barclay. Today, I'm again joined by Alan Stevens. Now, in episode 168, we just touched on how amazing the face is and what it can tell us about people. And today, Alan is going to talk about the Campfire Project and how he has developed his skills with profiling and facial reading to actually create a community initiative. Welcome back, Alan. Thank you very much, Magic. Now, tell us more about the Campfire Project. What does it do? Who is it for? And how did you develop it? Okay, we'll start off with how I developed it. With all the work I was doing in business, especially with men and profiling uh, men and talking to them, the question I was asking them was, well, what are some of your major concerns? If you described in one word your situation, what would it be? And they kept on coming back with the term confused. And I went, confused with what? And they said, well, you know, we thought as men, especially baby boomers and Gen X, we thought our role was to go out and build the resources up and look after the family. The problem with that is that when men are doing that, they're showing their love for the family by building the resources, but they're away from the love of their family. And so the end result was that they were being told that they were emotionally or physically absent from the household. At the same time, they were getting very confused about what was happening in the uh, the workplace because they said, well, look, once upon a time, we could just talk the way we wanted to talk and that was fine. But now we've really got to be very careful with all the political correctness and things changing all the time to make sure that we don't say the wrong thing, which causes frustration. And I realised that men, when they get frustrated, that can lead on to um, anger. And in some cases, that can lead to bullying in the workplace and domestic violence because they're If you're uh, angry, then you haven't got time to think about anybody else. It's all about yourself. So I realised that men needed a safe place where they could come along and tell their stories. And that's why I created the Campfire Project. But as you've seen, it's a hashtag, we together, because I didn't want it to be a men's group because I looked at uh, some of the men's groups and it's almost like motivational seminars. You go away to the motivational seminar, you're excited, you go home and everybody tells you it won't work and you're waiting for the next seminar. And I wanted uh, women to hear how men could speak when they felt safe to do so. So I brought some uh, lovely uh, women that I knew and that I trusted into the group when we first started it. I started interviewing men and the job was to hold their space while they then gave themselves permission to tell their stories, to have somebody for the first time just to be the ears and the eyes and listen to them and not counsel them, not tell them they were wrong or what they should be doing but just hold that space. And so uh, I started interviewing men from all over the world 
The men then came into panel discussions and we talked about uh, masculinity, femininity, pornography, drugs, alcohol, all the different issues that were affecting uh, men, and then turned around and uh, realised that the, uh, the women at that point were starting to send me personal messages saying, we love these guys, we've never heard men talk so deeply about their emotions, how can we get involved? And I said, well, this is what I've been waiting for, I've been waiting for you to put your hands up. When you were ready, I knew you would come forward. We brought the women into the one-on-ones and then into panel discussions. Now, this was August 13th, 2018, when we started it. So it's almost uh, four years now. But in that time, we've had over 320 uh, one-on-one conversations with men and women. Probably about 60% have been male. Then we've had over uh, 160 panel discussions. And we've increased the panel discussions into menstruation, menopause, does size matter in the bedroom? You know, the wearing of bras, you name it, we'll talk about it. No, nothing's taboo and nothing's off the table. But in that time of almost 500 hours of videos, not once has there been any bigotry, sexism or racism, and not once has anybody been disrespectful to anybody else, proving that when you set up the right environment and you set it up with the right conditions, people will respond and do the right thing. And that's the thing that I've been really uh, happy with. We've had, as I said, we've interviewed people all over the world. The only two places I haven't interviewed anybody yet is the North and the South Pole. But uh, I'm working on it because I'm sure there are people working in uh, isolation in research huts if they've got the internet and uh, they can, we can find out about them. I'd love them to come in and tell their stories, why they're doing what they're doing. It gave a lot of uh, coaches the opportunity for them to also come in and tell their stories, why they're doing what they're doing today. Because even at the age of 70, I've still got coaches and always will. Anything in my life that I need to learn new, I'm going to find the best people and hire them as coaches to help guide me through that. So with that, we asked the coaches to also come in, tell their stories, because while they told those stories, they were getting credibility that they know what they're doing. And a lot of the people in the uh, the group, Campfire Project, was over 2,300 people, I think now, everyone needs a coach. And those were going, well, who do I talk to? Now I was uh, bringing them together with people who could help them. I don't make any money out of the Campfire Project. Some of the coaches have because they picked up clients. There's a lot of joint ventures coming uh, through. So I've said, I don't care about anybody's culture, their religion or their gender. Everybody is welcome in. They've only just got to answer two questions when they come in. And that is, both questions are really the same, but rephrased. And the question is, will they respect everybody? And people have said, why do you ask the same question twice? I went, there's your two chances. You don't get a third. So when you come in, you're expected to treat everybody with respect. And if you do, then you look at it from the other side, you're also going to get respect as well. And everybody is looking to feel that they belong, that they contribute, that they're valued, that they're respected. And the Campfire Project is proving that for everybody. And I'm also bringing in other groups and networking men's and women's groups around the world together and giving them a place where they can come in and tell their stories about why their group is running, what they're trying to do, and at the same time, get them into panel discussions where they get to meet each other. And so I'm networking all of those leaders together as well, because I guarantee you if they're running their groups at some time, they're going to be going through some pressures. Well, now they've got other uh, leaders of other groups that they can call on for that support when they need it. And that's what the Campfire Project is about. Somebody said to me the other week, 
I've heard about connectors. I've heard about super connectors. Alan, you're neither of those. You knit people. And when I thought about that, when you're knitting, if you break a thread, the fabric will still hold together when one thread's broken. And that's what I'm doing with the Campfire Project is bringing people together. And uh, my job as a leader is to make myself redundant as well. And I've got a lot of people in the group now stepping up and taking on roles of running panel discussions, running one-on-ones. We've had charities that have come together uh, and actually been created through the Campfire Project. So it's a group that I'm very proud of. I'm very proud of myself, of what I've done, but very much of everybody who's in the group as well and what we're creating together. That certainly does sound fabulous. Now, outside the group, there's many people that struggle with communication. And at some point, every parent, every child have some kind of miscommunication. So how can parents and children learn to communicate? Children obviously are born innately as face readers, but Mm. that kind of gets switched off when they go to school and it's, you know, do this and obey this and do what I say. And, Mm. you know, they kind of switch off from that intuitiveness. And I think parents, especially mums, not leaving the guys out here, but especially mums, we're born to read our babies' faces because they can't tell us what's wrong. But again, come teenagehood, that kind of communication pathway dissipates. So how can teens in particular and mums and dads get back that basic level of communication? Okay, I'll give you a couple of examples first. Two of the youngest I trained up until a few years ago were the 14-year-old and a 15-year-old boys. They were working for the 15-year-old's grandmother in a uh, cafe up in the Hunter Valley. And I I taught them how to read personality traits, and I asked the two of them how they were using it. Well, the first one, the 14-year-old, is a bit of a likeable larrikin, uh, likes to uh, play up and everything else, and... uh, as he said to me, he said, well, I'm reading the teachers. And I said, well, how's that working for you? He said, well, I understand their personality, so I understand which ones I can stir and which ones I can't. He said, I'm stirring them more than I've ever stirred them before, but I'm having so much fun with it. He said, I'm not getting into trouble. And I went, well, that's cool, but probably not a marketing tool that I can use. I asked a 15-year-old and he said, well, I'm profiling the other students. And I said, well, how's that working for you? And he said, I understand them now. And I said, well, tell me more about that. And he said, well, where I wasn't getting on with them before, I understand why they are because I understand their personalities. And I know that from what you've taught me, personalities don't change overnight. And so I know how to talk to them. And I said, and what's that given you? He said, tolerance. He said, through the tolerance, I can now talk to them in the way that I need to talk to them. He said, I'm getting on with them all better now. But at the same time, if the parents... I had one mother whose son, who's 11 years ago now, when I profiled him, six years old, he has Asperger's, the school didn't want him, the after-schools care didn't want him either, they suggest he was more heavily medicated. I profiled him for his mother and then gave her a written report, which she was smart enough to give to the teachers and the after-schools care and tell each of them that the others were doing it and if they didn't do it, it would fail and it'd be on their heads. Well, nobody wanted to be responsible for that, so they put in place the suggestions I made. It was a year and a half or a year later, she stood up in the town hall in Newcastle when we were doing a health forum and told everybody how 
uh, where they said he'd never do presentations in front of the class. At the age of seven, he was doing presentations in front of the class. A year and a half later, they let the psychologist go because they didn't need him anymore, and they reduced his medication. And the relationship she's had with him has gotten stronger and stronger because when he's not on medication, they have more comprehensive and in-depth conversations. And she's still doing testimonial videos for me today and is a great supporter of everything that I'm doing. This is 11 years later. So there's a couple of examples. What it comes down to, it's not a matter of changing the children. It's a matter of understanding their personalities and then knowing how to speak to them in the way that they need to be spoken to so they understand you. I put a, a short course together. I'm working at the moment on my courses. They've been accepted now as professional development programs for Australia and Asia for all industries, for organisations that need to get additional points each year to keep their professions. At the same time, I'm looking to get the courses accredited for school teachers. So the teachers can understand the child's personality and know how to talk to them. Because if you understand their personality, you change the way that you speak to them and they now understand you. We know if we're communicating with somebody, it's no use talking Greek while they're speaking um, French, for instance. We have to speak the same language. And that means tuning our transmitter into the other person's receiver. And if you understand the other person, say you've got a child who is a big picture person, just wants the overview, but you've got a parent who's very analytical, who needs a lot of information before they can make a decision themselves, they're going to speak to their child in exactly the same way. And it's going to come across to the child as though they're being nagged. And so well, if the parent's an objective thinker, the school teacher's an objective thinker, they bounce around and pull concepts together really easily. And the child's a sequential thinker, where everything's got to be in a structured order. If you don't deliver it to them in the way in which they understand it, they're just going to nod when you say, if you got that, and they're going to nod because they don't want to be found that they, they don't know, but they're not going to be able to do it. So it all comes down to the parent, the school teacher. It's our responsibility to speak to the child the way they want to be spoken to. And the facial features will tell us everything we need to know. In a young child, even at birth, there are traits that have been passed down from the parents. There's what we call the DNA, the nature traits. We then have the nurture traits that we develop in response to our environment as we get older. And as you said, every year child knows how to read the parents. Because if you've got young children, I'll ask you this question, how often do they push you to the edge but not over the edge? And so they've read you to that point. But as you said, Magic, when you get to school, we only take in about 2 million bits of information every second, but we process 134 bits. It's a fraction, a tiny fraction. So wherever we focus is what we develop. So while we're you know, learning at school, while we're playing sports, while we're you know, playing games and everything else, we're not profiling. So it's a, a skill that every child has or just about every child has, except for a couple with different conditions. But as we get older, it's just an exercise, a muscle. If we don't work it, it atrophies. And that's what happens here. How many times have you heard somebody speak and everything they've said has sounded perfect, but you had that gut feeling something was wrong? You picked up the nonverbals, but on an unconscious level. You know, all I really am is a personal trainer who helps you redevelop that muscle, that atrophy. So the skill that you had in reading people before, that's where I step in. I just teach you so that you know whether it's something that's real that you picked up 
or whether it's something that's not real. You know, whether it's somebody who reminds you of somebody who you didn't like in the past, who's done the wrong thing by you in the past, and you then treat this person the same way, they're going to respond in a negative way as well. You create a self-fulfilling prophecy. Or is that person's face telling you that, yep, there's somebody you need to distrust and move away from? So what's all I do is help to remove that confusion. But as I said, children, understand there's traits. There's about three traits in particular, which I put in a short course, which if the child has those traits, I guarantee they're the ones that they're going to be pointing the fingers at saying that they've got a condition of one form or another and we need to medicate them. And the problem is because we've lost the ability to talk to the children and understand them, we are now medicating more children than those that should be medicated. Yes, there are going to be some that definitely need medication because of their conditions, but I would say a large percentage, and I'll even be... Uh, put my neck out here and say the majority of kids that we um, medicate, if we understood their personalities and spoke to them the way they need to be spoken to, we wouldn't need to have medication or anywhere near as much medication as we're presently using. Couldn't agree more as mum of two special needs boys myself, both on the spectrum. Yeah, medication is not the answer. Understanding who they are, how they tick, how they communicate, that's the answer and making sure that the people around them listen to you as a parent that's it see you know we look at our children and you know they come out of the same factory so to speak you know you have three kids and all three children will be different but as i said we are the combination of our nurture and nature traits now our person our memory is stored in every cell of our body so at the time of conception of a child Every memory the parents have, both the man and the mother, the end result will be that their memories are passed down the DNA. This is why when we look at our children, we go, well, I've got three sons that I raised on my own when their mum left. They were 4, 11 and 12, and I described them as chalk and cheese, and I'm still trying to figure out number three. And he's in his 30s. My oldest boy is uh, 43. And so they're all different to each other. And that's what because of the DNA side of things and understanding you just don't have a child and go, right, I've had one child and this worked, therefore I'll treat the others exactly the same. That doesn't work because they're all their own individual personalities. They've got the different memories that were passed down in their DNA and they have different experiences as they're growing up to their uh, siblings. And so no two children are alike. This is like I keep saying, they're understanding somebody's personality, you realise that there is no two personalities on the planet that are the same. Everybody is different in different ways. We are the sum of all of our experiences, what's been passed down the DNA and our responses to our environment. And the more that we can read an individual as a unique individual, the more that we're going to be able to build a better relationship with them and the happier they're going to be as well. And let's face it, as parents, we want happy kids because it makes our life easier as well. That it does. Alan, you've given us some amazing tips and info today, and I really appreciate that. We can find you at alanstevens.com.au or at thecampfireproject.com.au. Listeners, definitely jump on that because hashtag we together, that is a fantastic initiative, and we really do need to support our communities you know, I've spoken about this a lot, that community is your health and also your wealth. 
And so we really do need to invest in proper communication. Alan, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. It's been a privilege. So thank you very much for inviting me along. Thank you, listeners. Thank you again for your time. This was your episode 169. In 170, we have Kimberly Record talking about stop self-sabotage. So that will be a fantastic one to listen to as well. Thank you again for your time, everyone. Go forth and create your magical life. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to hear future episodes, leave a review and share this podcast. You can follow us on Facebook at A Magical Life Podcast or at Holistic Natural Health Australia. That's holistic with a W. You can find us on Instagram at Holistic Natural Health or at www.holisticnaturalhealth.com.au. That's where you'll access all sorts of articles, freebies and more.